Today's scripture reading is from John 9 and can be found on page 895 of your pew Bible. Please stand, if you can, for the reading of God's word. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. He must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. He said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is that not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him then, How were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called upon the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, that I was blind and now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you not want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard him, uh, near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of God. Thanks, Roger. Are we good up there? We're good? All right. Great. So thank you for, uh, for reading through that entire chapter. I felt it was very important that we see the story in its entirety before we talk about it today. But it was just interesting, um, <laughs> when Raudo uh, gave his eloquent introduction to me, um, I felt, uh, have you guys ever seen that show, Designated Survivor? So you know who a designated survivor is? It's one of the president's cabinet men that's, you know, during the State of the Union address, they put him away in a hotel, so in case something happens, you know, to the president, to the vice president, to speaker of the house, then bam, that's the guy. You become the president, so that's what I feel like today. But anyway, um, <laughs> stay with me. So, uh, so let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this amazing passage that we have recorded for us to see your power and to understand the difference between spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. Lord, help that become clear to us today. Um, thank you for uh, just this, this opportunity to speak and to, to think about, again, to understand this passage uh, as, it, as it occurred so many years ago, but Lord, it still rings true to us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, a large majority of adults in the United States, some estimate between 60 and 70 percent, require some kind of vision correction. Uh, and if you ask anyone who plays organized sports, they'd probably have a few more candidates for that, uh, that correction. Um, that's why we have, you know, review and instant replay. So some people are farsighted, and some, like me, are, are nearsighted or myopic. So if I, you know, take off these glasses, there is no way I can see the numbers on that clock back there. It's just a blurry, fuzzy, shiny ball. Um, 
And I remember when my teachers first suggested my mom that I should get my eyes checked, uh, I couldn't see the blackboard. Everything was blurry. I couldn't tell the difference between a plus sign, a minus sign, a divided sign, an equal sign. It made math very difficult when you couldn't see what was going on. So, um, so, and I was squinting all the time trying to figure out what was happening on the board. But when I got my first pair of glasses, I could now read all those chalk markings. Yes, it was chalk. Uh, no whiteboards back then. And my life improved significantly, and so did my grades. Um, glasses, like almost every other good thing in life, uh, was invented in Italy, were invented in Italy back in the late 1200s. And uh, bifocals, however, were invented here in the United States by a native Bostonian, a guy by the name of Ben Franklin. Uh, and one of the reasons we know Ben Franklin invented bifocals is because of a letter he wrote to a friend back in 1784. And he wrote this. He said, your eyes must continue very good since you can write so small a hand without spectacles. I cannot distinguish a letter even of large print, but I'm happy in the invention of double spectacles, which serving for distant objects as well as near ones make my eyes as useful to me as they ever were. If all the other defects and infirmities were as easily and cheaply remedied, it would be worthwhile for friends to live a good deal longer. Good old Ben Franklin. So Franklin, like many others, including me, have greatly benefited from his invention. Yes, these are bifocals. It's hard to tell, but they are. Uh, by being able to see clearly again. So in the passage we read today, and thank you again, Roger, for going through that whole passage, we learned about how Jesus did much more than correct someone's vision. He actually healed a man born blind. We also learned how this man was transformed by his new vision, both physically and, more importantly, spiritually. But in order to understand what happened here in this passage, we need to get a sense of the big picture, like what's been going on here, what's the context. So first of all, why is Jesus in Jerusalem? Well, we learned in an earlier chapter that it was the Feast of Booths. So the Feast of Booths was both a harvest festival and a commemoration of the exodus from Egypt. And it was during that time that the Jewish people would build tents uh, and live in them uh, for you know, about seven days and remember back when they were in the desert coming out of Egypt. It was, one of, it was also one of three Jewish pilgrimage holidays when everyone was supposed to go back to Jerusalem. So initially, Jesus was actually pretty hesitant about going back to Jerusalem. He didn't want to go back. Why? Well, back in John 5, we read that he had gone down to Jerusalem for an earlier feast, and he had gotten in some trouble. So during this feast, he healed the lame man. Doesn't sound like trouble, but it was back then. But just, just before I go on further, just a, an interesting archaeological uh, footnote, because I like to do that. Um, the oldest depiction we have of Jesus, the oldest artistic rendition, is of this miracle of healing the lame man. And it's from a house that was found in Syria in the town of Dura Europis, and it dates back to around 245 A.D., so just about 200 years after Jesus walked the earth. Um, and most of that artwork is actually down at, in New Haven at Yale University because it was excavated in the 1930s by a professor from Yale, and he brought it all back to Yale. Uh, interestingly, it, that, that picture is not on display, but if you look at the Internet, you can see it. So anyway, back to John 5. So he healed this lame man, and he picked up his pallet and walked away, and that's, what, that's what's depicted in this picture. 
So that sounds fantastic, but there was one big problem. He healed him on the Sabbath day. And then he told the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, that his father, by whom he meant God, was working on the Sabbath. So there were two major offenses here. One, he claimed that his father was God. So that was a big problem for the Jewish people. And secondly, he was working on the Sabbath. So according to the Pharisees, any work on the Sabbath, even healing people, was prohibited. The Jews had placed their interpretation of the law, their own idea of righteousness, self-righteousness, above their love for God. And there's a name for this, and it was the, it's the main theme of John 9 that we're going to talk about soon, which is spiritual blindness. The book of John tells us that the Pharisees were so offended by Jesus that they started to plan to kill him then. They couldn't see how wrong they were about who he was. They were completely blinded to that. So it's time to head back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. Jesus holds back, as I said, because he knows the Pharisees are planning to kill him. He doesn't want to enter the city in a big entourage because that would have created a huge uproar. So he joins the crowd later. But when he arrives in Jerusalem, he starts teaching in the temple and defending his healing on the Sabbath. And somehow he was able to evade his enemies. On the last day of the Feast of Booths, the priests poured water on the altar in the temple, water that they had carried up from the Pool of Siloam, one of the major sources of fresh water in Jerusalem. It's fed by the Gihon Spring outside the city, and it dates back to the time of King Hezekiah, over 700 years before Christ. Another interesting archaeological side note. So Hezekiah, in order to connect the Gihon Spring to Siloam, dug a tunnel through bedrock. He had two teams. One team started on outside the city on one end, and the other team started inside the city, and they banged through the rock until they met in the middle, over 1,750 feet of bedrock had to be chipped away for this tunnel to be created. So it's a pretty major event. So on this day, on the last day of the feast, Jesus saw this water being poured out on the altar and stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. He declared that he was the true source of life-giving water. And I want to thank Drew for the song earlier. He didn't even know I was going to mention this. So I was listening to that, you know, all who are thirsty, and just thinking about this event. This was a huge event. I mean, this was a massive crowd in the temple. And you have this one guy standing up when everybody should be focusing on the priest. You have Jesus standing up and shouting to the crowd, ah, that water over there? You want real water of life, it's me. It's me. So, of course, the Pharisees spotted him and sent temple officers to grab him. Amazingly, when the officers got there, they didn't grab him. They just started listening to his words. And they were fascinated. They were amazed. And they couldn't, they couldn't arrest him. And it made the Pharisees even more upset. So not even their own you know, police force was doing their bidding. So then in chapter 8, the tension really starts to ramp up with, if you look at the, just discursely at the passage, it looks like a lot of name-calling. So even though some of the Jews have started to believe in what Jesus was saying, so the text tells us that some of them had started to think through this, there's a pretty intense fight where the Pharisees claim that they are the sons of Abraham. And Jesus tells them right to their faces that they intend to kill him and that they are sons of the devil. Quite a contrast. 
So they then respond, kick back at him, well, well you have a demon. <sighs> Great. And then Jesus stuns them with the line, before Abraham was born, I am. I am from before Abraham. I am was the name of God that God had revealed to Moses. And Tim Keller calls this an untoppable comment. You can't go any higher than that. And so what the Pharisees started to do then was just throw rocks. They started to find rocks to throw at them. They, they had run out. So Jesus escapes that again somehow. And this is when he ends up seeing the blind man. So he's just escaped one more time from the Pharisees, and he comes across this blind man. Jesus knows he's been blind since birth. His disciples, trying to sound smart, <laughs> ask him a burning question. Nothing about the blind man. They want to know who sinned. Who did something wrong so this guy's blind? Was it him or his parents? Now, if it was him, <laughs> it would have had to have been done before he was born. So it's kind of difficult to figure that out. But, um, you know, his parents, that, that may have been more of an issue. So why did they ask him this question? You know, Jesus is almost, was almost stoned <laughs> by the Pharisees. He's running for his life, hiding, hiding out probably somewhere in Jerusalem or in the outskirts. And then his, his disciples start asking him these tricky questions. Must have been uh, pretty difficult for Jesus to <laughs> deal with all this with a straight face. Um, he saw immediately that they were falling into the same trap as the Pharisees. Bad things happen to bad people, right? And good things thus happen to good people. It makes figuring out life pretty easy. If someone looks good, then they are on the outside, right? If someone looks like they're in bad shape, well, he must have done something wrong to deserve it. Poor guy. This leads to the philosophy that if I'm doing fine and if all is well, then I must be okay with God. Part of their self-righteous mentality we've already touched on. This is a really terrible and destructive philosophy. That's pretty pervasive, actually, even to this day. So yes, suffering can definitely happen as a consequence of sin and disobedience. Definitely. But many times, it does not. We all deal with some kind of suffering in our lives. This is part of life as we know it. We live in a fallen world with disease, decay, and death. Suffering will happen. Naveen touched on this last week. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. There are random events that happen that don't make sense at the time. We get apathetic towards these. My son called it an apathy towards randomness. <laughs> Only in the words of William. Um, we live in a fallen world. And if we always think that these things are linked to our behavior, we'll spend most of our lives beating ourselves up for it, blaming ourselves, saying, why did this happen? What did I do? How could this have possibly happened to me when, you know, what, what thing did I do wrong to deserve this? And we shouldn't. So then, is there a reason for suffering? What does Jesus say is the reason for this man's blindness? Well, first, Jesus absolutely refutes the idea that the man is blind because of his sin and turns the whole conversation around. He's not blind because anyone sinned. It's because God has work to do here. What work? 
can just imagine the disciples thinking, what work can God do with a blind man? Uh, Jesus, let's just leave this guy alone and, and move on. <laughs> uh, if, if God's going to do work, maybe he should do it through us, not this guy. So then in two verses, Jesus stuns them and stuns us as we read through this. Jesus heals the blind man. He does it in a really interesting way. So, as we read, he makes some mud with clay and spit, puts it on the man's eyes, and then tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Interestingly, this also takes place on the Sabbath. So Jesus had a habit of healing people on the Sabbath. So imagine that moment. The whole world around the blind man changed from darkness to light. What did Jesus say right before he healed him? Did anyone pick that up? He said, I am the light of the world. So now everyone's happy, right? Jesus is the light of the world. This man has gone from darkness to light. This is awesome. This is fantastic. The disciples must have thought, wow, amazing. Well, the story continues, and we learn that no good deed goes unpunished. So the formerly blind man is brought in front of the same Pharisees who were arguing with Jesus throughout all the previous chapters. They thought they were the sons of Abraham, righteous by heritage, and that this guy was a crazy maniac from Galilee, the same guy who stood up in the temple and told people to come to him and drink, has challenged all their thinking by healing a man born blind. He did the impossible. And they think it's impossible. <laughs> so they hold an investigation in this incident. There's no way this, this really happened. There's some kind of trick here. There's some kind of game going on. He's, he's playing tricks on us, right? They grill the man about what happened. They bring in his parents and cross-examine them. Was he really blind when he was born? Yes, he was. Bye. Can we leave now? Um, then they go back to the man when they have reached their verdict. The glory should go to God, not this Jesus character, because he's a sinner. We're convinced of that. But interestingly, if you look deeper, you see they weren't uniform in this verdict. If you look back at verse 16 of chapter 9, you'll see that some had begun to break ranks from the majority point of view. Some had started to say, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Nevertheless, the Pharisees dug in deeper. The man then responded, and I might say very bravely, he said, whether he, meaning Jesus, is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, <laughs> that though I was blind, now I see. He's pretty convinced of that. <laughs> There's nothing he can do to dissuade him of that. He knows that's real. So here's a former blind man, a former nothing, from below the bottom ranks of society, now speaking with the religious elites. He describes the miracle again, and then even has the audacity to ask the Pharisees, do you want to become Jesus' disciples? Are you guys interested? This guy's got some incredible power. You should, you should consider this. The Pharisees fight back, just as they had with Jesus, and now they claim their heritage through Moses, and that they have no idea who this Jesus character is. The man comes right back with another shocking statement. Wow, you don't know who he is, and he healed me? 
I thought you guys were all together on this. You guys are the religious, religious elites. You should know more about this guy than I do. It's never been heard of before in the history of the world, healing a man born blind, and he did it. There's no way this man could have done this if he wasn't from God. There's got to be something going on here that you're not getting. So at this point, Pharisees did what they do best. They ran out of arguments and kicked him out. So who was doing God's work here? Jesus had said that God had work to do. First, Jesus healed the physical blindness using clear symbols that further reinforced his deity, right? The mud is a clear reference to creation. When God created man from dust, he used that same dust to restore whatever pathology was going on in the man's eyes, brain, wherever the defect was. Jesus was able to rebuild that circuitry with that mud. Amazing. And then he asked him to go wash in the water from Siloam, the same water source that was used for the great celebration in the temple, when he declared he was the true source of the water of life. So he connected all this together for the Pharisees and for this man. Then the man was dragged in front of the Pharisees as a living example of the argument Jesus was trying to make to them. Here's living proof. Talk to this man. So just like the blind man, the Pharisees were still blind. He can now see and they can't. However, some of them did begin to see. There are small flashes of light. God's work was being accomplished through the testimony of the man born blind back then as well as today. Jesus was starting to make sense to them, to some of them. Some of the spiritual blindness was being healed. Maybe some of the Pharisees thought back to their Bible classes and remembered a verse from Psalm 146, 7 through 8. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. And the Lord loves the righteous. It's right there in the Psalms. This is one of the activities that signifies the power of God, this healing from blindness. Let's go back a little bit to the exact words the man said and learn a little bit more about his response. He said, Though I was blind, now I see. When I read this, I often put emphasis on the seeing part, just thinking about that, because that was the miracle. I hadn't really thought about the first part that much. He recognized he was blind. He had never seen anything in his whole life. He must have felt pretty normal after a while, just day in, day out, not seeing anything. There are things out there that I can feel and hear and smell and taste, but what do they look like? What is sight? It's difficult to know you're blind until you can see. But somehow, he had come to that conclusion um, in this whole process. He understood that. Then another amazing event takes place. So once the Pharisees had kicked out the man, Jesus found him again. This is the second time Jesus has found this guy. He went out and looked for him. He was an outcast again. He'd been rejected by the spiritual elites. And Jesus went to find him. Jesus asked him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he? (laughs) So I might believe, let me know. 
And Jesus speaks clearly and says, it's him. The man worships Jesus. He bows down and worships him. His spiritual vision had now clicked on. Both the physical and spiritual blinders had fallen off. And he now saw that Jesus was not just a teacher or a prophet, which he had said earlier when the Pharisees asked him who he was. He said, oh, he's, he's, he's got to be this prophet. Now he knows he's much more than that. He knows that he's the Messiah, the actual Son of God, the one whom all the prophets of Israel had spoken about for years. Yes, he had the form of a man. He looked like a man standing there in front of him, but no man could do what he did. There were still some Pharisees in the neighborhood when this happened who were spying on him. (laughs) They heard what Jesus said, and they asked what Jesus had been hoping they would ask all along, but probably in a way that continued to defend their own self-righteousness. They said, are we also blind? Imagine if they had been saying that honestly. I'm sure Jesus would have given them an honest answer. And he did give them an honest answer, but he would have tried to push it along a little bit. But they, they probably were still harboring some resentment for what had happened in their hearts. And Jesus responds, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. If you really are blind and knew it like the blind man, then you wouldn't be guilty. You'd be able to admit that you are blind. But they weren't even able to admit. They didn't even know they were blind. But if you can't understand that you're blind and claim you see, according to what Jesus said, you're still guilty. Jesus knew their hearts. They were still thinking they could see clearly, but they could not. So we learn here that spiritual blindness is really a terrible disease that we all suffer from. We're all born blind. None of us are born seeing our true spiritual nature or who Jesus really is. It's not easy to see who we are in in the light of what Jesus portrays us as. And once we see it, it's often too too terrifying to look back on again. Shining a light on what's inside of us can be very unsettling. My daughter introduced me to a uh, current Broadway musical that depicts this beautifully. The show is called Dear Evan Hansen. And the show walks us through the life of a young man who lives a lie that propels him to the top of his social media ladder. His likes go through the roof. His Twitter feed is overflowing. His Instagrams are lighting up the internet. Then he realizes that he can't keep living the lie any longer and selfishly reaping the benefits of that lie. He reveals his true self to those around him, confesses the lie, and everything, his fame, fortune, everything comes crashing down. And only then does he realize who really loves him for who he is, rather than what he was trying to be. Jesus is looking for the same breakthrough in our hearts and in our minds. He wants to shine a light on the truth and then heal it and bring us closer to him. We just need to be willing to open our eyes. As I thought about this, I realized, in a way, even though it's impossible for us, it was more straightforward for Jesus to heal a man born blind than to heal the deep spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. They fought for their right to be blind. They defended it. We do the same. And it's not until we bow down and worship Jesus that our blinders begin to come off and we see ourselves for who we really are and we see Jesus for who he really is.
But for some of the Pharisees, as I've hinted at all along, Jesus' words and actions did begin to sink in. So if you look in John chapter 10, you can see a brief description of, of how this started to happen. In verses 19 to 21, we read, there was again a division among the Jews because of Jesus' words. Many of them said, stuck to their guns, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There are really only two choices here. There wasn't any intermediate. <laughs> Either he was insane, he was out of his mind, was crazy, didn't know what he was talking about, or there was real power here. There was something that the Pharisees couldn't see, that this man was really, really the son of God. So some lights had started to come on. And the words of Jesus and of the blind man were starting to sink in. As I read this and thought about this more, I realized that Jesus wasn't arguing with the Pharisees just for the sake of arguing. He wanted them to open their eyes and see who he really was. He really did. He was fighting against all their self-righteousness, all the walls they put up, all these idols that they had erected to their heritage and their righteousness that kept them spiritually blind. Just as he healed the blind man, he wanted them to be healed. They needed to make that choice themselves, though. He couldn't do it for them. So as we've looked at this today and thought about it, what will it take for us to see? What arguments do we need to hear? What testimonies? What will the experience be like when we see Jesus for who he really is? Sometimes suffering, sadly, is required for us to look beyond our own selfishness. Once the blind man learned who it was who healed him, he worshipped him. It was a pretty simple conclusion for him to make. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And sometimes it takes suffering and restoration for us to stop and think about the big picture and about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And this became very apparent to me about four years ago when I was paralyzed from the waist down by a bleed in my spinal cord. Life as I knew it came to a complete standstill. During that time, I learned more about myself, my family, my friends, and about the healing power of Jesus than ever before. I also relearned how to sit up in bed, and then crawl, and then stand, and then walk again. It was like I had to be taken apart and rebuilt for God to break through a lot of my busyness and remind me of who he was in my life and the great people he had surrounded me with. I saw for the first time the frailty of my own life and the reality of his power to heal both body and soul. So how can we see him today for who he really is? How can we see ourselves for who we, we really are? How can we put on spiritual glasses to make what is blurry and unclear become crisp and clear and focused? Jesus is the light of the world, the light that reveals all, the light that the blind man saw for the first time. Take a look, spend some time, 
in the words of Jesus as recorded in the Bible by those who heard him firsthand. Speak to him through prayer. Ask him to help you to see who he really is. Ask him for forgiveness from your own blindness and the times when you have sinned, missed the mark, missed the perfect target, and walked away. Realize that our own righteousness is not good enough and that it's only by grace and believing in him that we can be transformed from blind to seeing. And then your eyes will be opened, and just like the blind man, you will see and believe.